2 Timothy this morning, book of 2 Timothy. Chuck, why don't you give me this fan here? I need at least one fan this morning. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've been uh, plowing around in the fertile ground of truth, amen? Uh, We've been preaching a lot about being ashamed and not being ashamed and how to avoid being ashamed, and uh, that's a a real thing in the Christian life. Thank you, brother. And uh, before we get going, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you and we plead that precious blood. Father, we need your help this morning. Father, I pray for power. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Not only that, but Father, I pray that you fill your, spirit, uh, your people with the Holy Spirit of God. Father, I pray that you'd help those who are trying to get out of the bed and get ready to come. Father, I pray that you'd give them a dose of encouragement, Lord, to be able to come out and go to church and uh, sing the old hymns and uh, have fellowship with the brethren. Most of all, Lord, hear from you. Father, we need help this morning. We pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're in verse 12. The Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, we covered uh, uh, what causes you to be ashamed. And uh, we gave you seven, eight, or nine things there from the scriptures. And then we covered how, not, how to not be ashamed. <laughs> And uh, what I want to do now is I want to give you some goals for your Christian life, goals for your Christian life of not being ashamed. Uh, You should have some goals of not being ashamed. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You should have some goals in your Christian life uh, of not being ashamed. Amen. Being ashamed uh, has a lot more to do than just, you know, uh, not wanting anyone to know you go to church here. Um, some of you just, people, people know where you go. It don't matter. <laughs> you could change the socks that you wear, and someone would find out. That's the way people are. But uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, look what Paul says. Paul uh, uh, tells us life's plan here in verse 20. And God gives you a plan through the Apostle Paul, and here it is. He says, according to my earnest expectation... And my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness is always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And that should be our goal. You say, what's that? Well, first of all, number one, our plan, our goal for life should be that Christ can get glory out of me living or dying. Christ, uh, that should be our goal. Christ can get glory out of me, living or dying. That's Philippians 1.20. If Christ wants me to live, then I want to live and bring him glory. If he, uh, <laughs> he wants me to die, then I want to die. You say, that's crazy. Okay, I want him to have glory out of my life. 
if Christ wants me to lose my legs, then uh, I want to lose my legs. Christ wants me to take my mind, you say, preacher, you ain't got far to go, then I want to lose my mind. <laughs> you see that is? Uh, if Christ uh, wants to take, make me a vegetable for the rest of my life, but doing that will make uh, give, bring him glory, okay, I'm not excited for it, but let's do it. If Christ uh, takes away my hearing, if he takes away my eyesight, then let it happen. That's, that should be your goal. Amen? He gave all for us, didn't he? I mean, he didn't hold anything back. He said, I, he said I've finished the work uh, that the Father gave me to do. And on the cross, he all stretched out and nailed to that tree. He said, it is finished. Uh, so he gave all for us. Uh, shouldn't we be willing to give all for him? Amen. It's easy to say and hard to do. Now, if that's going to be our goal, uh, then a couple of things have to happen. If that goal, uh, to not be ashamed, is by Christ getting glory out of me, living or dying, then uh, a couple of things have to happen. You know what? You've got to stop looking within. You've got to stop looking within. What does the Bible say in... Uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, talking about charity. Doesn't that say, uh, seeketh not her own? <laughs> you know what you got to do as a Christian? If you're going to let Christ get glory out of you living or dying, you got to stop looking within. Does that make sense this morning? Okay. Well, how about this one? Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 24. Two verses connected there together help you understand to stop looking within. Stop looking within. One of the biggest hindrances of the Christian life is we spend too much time looking within. We spend too much time trying to take care of us. Uh, we get up in the morning. Now, hear me out. Don't shut me off. Uh, we get up in the morning, and the, fir the first temptation is to make myself comfortable. Amen. It is, whether you say amen or not. Matthew 16, 25. Uh, because you're the most weak, generally, generally, in the morning. Uh, you're sleepy, you're trying to pry your uh, eyelids open with a crowbar, and the first thing most of us think is caffeine, caffeine. Don't talk to me until I have my caffeine. Well, what if God wants to get glory out of you without caffeine? Can you do it? You say, preacher, and you know you got to fight. I would agree, uh, at least for three days, Amen. I look at 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him what? You see that thing right there? Stop looking within. Self-denial. That song written by uh, Char uh, Charles T uh, Tinley, uh, talk about nothing between, much self-denial. And that's uh, Matthew 16, 24. Now, uh, look at the next, next verse. Matthew 16, 25. Uh, he that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall what? So you know what you need to do as a Christian? You need to learn how to lose your life. Stop looking within. You focus on picking up the cross, self-denial, and losing your life. You realize if you lose your life, uh, you can, you, let me say it like this. You can't be an effective witness and try to save your own life. He that findeth his life shall. That's a paradox. 
That thing is, uh, it's, it's a polarity. It's a total opposite. You want to be an effective uh, tool in the hands of Almighty God? Stop looking within. You want Christ to get glory out of your Christian life, living or dying? You say, well, dying, okay. No, how about living? <laughs> That's the hardest thing in the world is letting the Lord get glory out of you in your life. So you've got to stop looking within. Not only that, but stop looking within, and you've got to start looking up. That's Hebrews 12, too. Most of our problems in the Christian life come from the fact that our eyes are in the wrong place. And I'm not necessarily referring to something immoral or indecent, but if that's the case, so be it. Let the Holy Spirit hit the thing where it lies. But the Bible says, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He authored the faith. He finished the faith. I reckon he knows everything in between. So you got to stop looking within. The temptation is to look within. And if you do that first thing in the morning, uh, you're more prone to do that thing in the middle of the day and at night. And what happens if you start feeding that old man and you start uh, ignoring self-denial and you try to save your life first thing in the morning, you'll run errands all day for a corpse. And you know what? At the end of the day, you're still not satisfied with what you've done for yourself. <laughs> so you've got to stop looking within. You just start looking up. How about this one? Not only start looking up, but then you've got to what? You've got to start looking without. Start looking without. You've got to look up and you've got to look out. I take your Bible and uh, look over at, uh, what is that one? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. These are goals for the Christian life. This is something you have to work on continually. If you're going to let the Lord get glory out of you living or dying, you, gotta, you can't be looking inside all the time. You've got to start looking up. That's, uh, that's serving God, right? Serve God. Well, how about this one? Start looking without. That's serving others. You see that verse there in Galatians chapter 5, 13? He says, but by love serve one another. That's what it is. Look at that one in John chapter 12 real quick. John chapter 12, 26. You got the one on serving others. Here's the one on serving God. John 12, 26. Bible says here in John 12, 26. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You see how that thing works? You want honor? Then you become a servant. You serve the Lord. You want honor? You become a servant. You serve the Lord. You serve others. You deny yourself. That's the way God gets glory out of you in your life and in your death. That's a pretty good thing. So our plan, our goal for our life should be that Christ can get glory out of you and I, whether we're living or whether we're dying. And uh, look at number two here. The plan and goal for our life is that we should never be ashamed of God's message. Never be ashamed of God's message. Look back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. That's where we're at. 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. It 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. We should never be ashamed of God's message. Never. That ought to be our goal in our life. You say, what's our goal? Get the gospel out? Never ashamed of God's message. You ever look at someone and you pretty much pretty sure they're lost and you want to open your mouth or give them a track? Never ashamed of God's message. You say, well, what's with the well, what's with the guilt trip this morning? I'm not guilt tripping you. You want a guilt trip? Turn to the QVC channel. There's one channel I've seen out there. It's round the clock Invicta watches. If you watch it for 20 minutes, you will think, I need an Invicta watch. They don't keep time. They break within 30 days. But if nothing else, you can beat someone half to death with that thing. That thing's so clunky. <laughs> That's not a guilt trip. That's sales tactics. <laughs> but you should never be ashamed of God's message. You should never be uh, ashamed to get the gospel out. You should never be attained to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You ought to get it out there. Great verse. Psalm chapter 31, verse 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. All right, that's number two. Plan and goal for my life is that we should never be ashamed of God's message. And of course, real close to that one. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. Never ashamed of the gospel. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You say, well, that's the same thing as number 2. Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, you know what? You know what the message is to lost people sometimes? So you see, you got this whole thing cattywampus. Uh, if you're going to live for God, He's going to put you in front of lost people, and you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to tell them they're going to hell. You don't always walk up to a person and go, Jesus loves you so much and died for you that if you trust Him as your Savior, you'll go to heaven when you die. That's the end result, yes. But if you don't get that man lost, sometimes you're just there to dent his fender. That's what's wrong with Christianity. No, no Christian's denting anybody's fender. They're trying to get along. They're trying to hold hands. They're trying to live inside Sodom and Gomorrah just like Lot. They're trying to be such a part of this world system that's headed for hell. And everyone's afraid to go, you're going to hell if you're not saved. <gasps> when was the last time you told somebody that without Jesus Christ they would burn in hell forever? Now that's a hard thing. But that's where it's at. God's message sometimes is you're headed for hell, buddy. And your feet ought to be getting warm because your number's about up. And then sometimes, like Jude said, uh, you got to pull some out of the fire. And then some uh, you got to have patience with. And some you got to plead with. But some you got to say, look, you're on a rocket ship headed for hell and you're going to fry like a piece of sausage. But you should never be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So this whole thing you hear, uh, if you uh, listen to any amount of contemporary Christianity, God help you. Would you like to invite Jesus into your life? He's in your life before you had a life. And now that you think you have a life, you need to get a life because you ain't going to have one very long. See what I mean? 
Would you like to invite Jesus into your life? And he's in, the, he's in the life of every lost person alive. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. How about this one? Here's something you should be ashamed of. This is a goal for your life. We should always be ashamed of our past life. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 21. We should always be ashamed of our past life. Always. We should always be ashamed of when we're out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. I know men, pretty good men, they never do anything for God, and here's why. They're not ashamed of their past life. To be ashamed of your past life means that you know that you've done wrong. If you're not ashamed of your old past life, there's something very wrong with you as a Christian. Romans chapter 6, verse 21, the Bible says, What fruit has you then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? You see that? For the end of those things is death. So when you're out there living for yourself, you're out there with the world, out there messing around, out there out of fellowship with God, the end of that stuff is death. Death to your relationship with the Lord if you're a Christian and if you're lost, you're just one step away from going to hell. We are to look at our past life and be ashamed. And then we're supposed to press on and press forward to those things which please God. Uh, now look at 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll give you another one. We should not be ashamed of our faith. We should not be ashamed of our faith. That's a great goal in the Christian life. Here's the thing. You know why sometimes you're ashamed? Because you suffer for it. And like we said before, suffering for your faith or suffering for Jesus Christ doesn't mean that someone's taking, you know, bamboo rods and shoving them onto your fingernails and packing gunpowder in your sinus cavities and blowing your brains out. Sometimes that suffering is spiritual. And people ridicule you. And people talk bad about you. And people lie about you. And family members get upset with you because you take a stand for the Lord or you do something for the Lord. Now, they don't understand why you want to go to church. They don't understand why you want to serve the Lord. And what they end up do, they end up persecuting you. They end up, you know, just being root, and that hurts your spirit, don't it? That's persecution. Listen, just because you're not getting dragged across the parking lot, you know, on a bed of nails behind a pickup truck doesn't mean you're not suffering. Uh, it's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. You should never be ashamed of your faith. Everywhere you go, especially the places that you work, uh, if you act like you're ashamed of your faith, nobody will say a word. There, there's Christians where you work, and they're, they're, they're afraid. And you know what they're doing? They're just looking for someone to have some guts to say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I don't talk like that, <laughs> even though you want to. <laughs> Amen? I'm a Christian. I'm not going to. Box your ears in, but I want to. First Peter four sixteen, the Bible says, "Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed." You see that? But let him glorify God on this behalf. Remember Peter back there in the apostles of the early church. There they told not to preach in the name of Jesus, and of course they come, they come and whoop the fire out of them and beat all the apostles there. They they didn't go back and call Lee free, you know. <laughs> they didn't go back and call was it Figer Law? We win, you know. You know what they did? They were excited and they rejoiced that they were able to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. You ever suffered for the name of Jesus Christ? 
I bet you have and don't even know it sometimes. But we should never be ashamed of our faith. Now, that's, uh, that should be the goal of every Christian, those five things right there. Uh, so, how about this? I'll rephrase it. No matter what God does with me or to me, I'm not going to be ashamed. Will that fly? No matter what God does with me or to me, I won't be ashamed. There's a difference. God might not do anything great or grand in the scheme of social, uh, social people, the way you look at it. You might think your life uh, you know, doesn't amass too much but a hill of beans, but can you raise a family for God? Can you get behind a preacher and push? No matter what God does with me, God ain't doing nothing with me. Amen. Then let him get glory out of it. And no matter what God does to me, well, he's really giving it to me. Amen. Let him get glory through it then. And then that's the first one there, of those five things. Uh, you should never be ashamed of God's message. You should never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I should always be ashamed of my past life, and I should never be ashamed of my faith in Jesus Christ. Now look back Second 2 Timothy 1.12. You're thinking we're going to get past this verse. <laughs> Doubtful. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says this, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Amen. Now look what he says. Three, wor- three words. For I know. Sounds like Paul's pretty sure about something, isn't he? And it's all like Paul's pretty confident. You ever hang around uh, backslidden Christians? I hope not. <laughs> Every once in a while you might have to. You know what irritates them about probably you? Your confidence. People mistake confidence for cockiness. Now, if you're always running your mouth and you're arrogant and you're putting people down, it might be a little bit of a banny rooster in you, amen? <laughs> But uh, people, Christians, Christians, backslidden Christians, and the lost world cannot stand your confidence in the Bible, and they cannot stand your confidence in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're not very open-minded. Right? You're not very uh, broad-minded. Yeah. Yeah, But Paul says, uh, for I know. And he didn't say, I hope. He didn't say, I think. He didn't say, I have a feeling. You know, I have a feeling. (laughs) Uh, he says, for I know. He says, I know whom I have believed. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you know whom you have believed? Amen. You know, uh, you know, you, anyways. <laughs> he says, uh, for I know and am persuaded. Not only does he sure about knowing something, it's a fact, isn't it? He says, and am persuaded. It's a fact that is sealed and solidified that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You believe that when you ask Jesus Christ to save you, he'll keep you? You realize that at least, and I'm not exaggerating, 90 to 95% of the churches in this community have no confidence in eternal security whatsoever? I've said this before. 
You look online, you check all their statements out. Everyone's so digitally savvy, they're practically stupid. And they'll put their doctrinal beliefs right on. They don't, they don't know if they're saved. Can you imagine getting up and listening to some fella that he might look funny, you know, and he might have his collar on backwards, and he doesn't even have assurance of his salvation. You really going to sit under that thing? Isn't that wild? Can you imagine getting a little flyer in your mailbox about learn about revelation and prophecy when they don't even know where they're going when they die? You want to learn anything from them suckers, them blind guides? A bunch of fools going to hell on a rocket they are. But Paul knew something, didn't he? And as a Christian, you ought to know too. And as a Christian, you ought to be Pauline in your thinking, and you ought to be confident and persuaded. Uh, we got a few minutes here. I'll take your, let's run some, can we just run some reference? A reason I want to give you these things because a lot of people get upset with you when you're confident. A lot of people get upset with you when you know what the Bible says. You know what the Catholic Church hates? It's a, it's a, it's a church member that knows their Bible. They can't control them. You know the only way for a Catholic to do anything in his life is to go against the very thing he was told not to do, and that's listen to other preachers and read the Bible for himself and understand it. He's got to, first of all, go against what he was told to do, told not to do. Look at this thing. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 25. I just want to run some references. Listen, in the Christian life, the authors of Scripture were confident. They knew where they were going. They knew what God told them, and they believed it. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 25. I'll just run a few. I got over 60 references here. You're like, good grief, preacher. What is this, a Bible study? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Amen. This is what a lot of church members wish I'd turn the morning service into, but you know what? You get the good stuff. I'm not saying it's not good in the morning. Well, you be the judge of that, amen. Uh, but this is, this is where, I mean, the, the Lord can deal with you. Acts chapter 20, look at verse 25. He says, but none of these things move me, neither count on my life, dear unto myself, so I might finish my course with joy in the ministry, which I have received of the Lord uh, Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. Look at 25. And now, behold, I know that ye all. You see that? I know. Paul knows some things. Paul's not guessing. Uh, look at verse 29. 29. For I know. What does he know? He's, he knows that as soon as he leaves, a bunch of grievous wolves are going to come in. Some are going to be from inside the church, and some of them are going to be from outside the church. We'll preach a little bit about this this morning. You know what the best thing you could be, uh, do as a Christian be cautious, be weary, be vigilant, doubt everything. So that's terrible. No, that's smart. I'm not going to preach uh, all the gunpowder in the message, but you know what Joshua did? He was leery. God gave him something to do, and he's like, who are you? Are you for us or are you against us? He didn't take nothing for granted. He wasn't ecumenical at all. He didn't fly the queer flag, amen, and say, oh, come on and get some of our donuts. He's like, no, man, are you either for Israel or you're against Israel? And if you're against Israel, you're about to get it in the neck. And Paul knew, Paul knew, look at 2410. We'll go right in succession here. You ought to be confident in your Christian life. You ought to know some things. And the only way you're going to know it is not through listening to YouTube, not listening to Joseph Prince and John Hagee and Chuck Swindler and all that stuff. It's going to be by reading the Bible. 2410, 2410. He says, then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, for as much as I know. See that? He knew something about the day. 
He knew that he'd been a, a judge for a number of years. Paul wasn't an ignorant dope. Uh, look at this one, uh, 26-27. You know what Paul knew here in 26-27? He's witnessing to, uh, he's given the gospel to, uh, what's his name, Agrippa, 26-27. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. You know what he does? He puts it on him. He presses him for a decision. When you witness to other unsaved people, you ought to give them the gospel and the Lord, and the Holy Spirit gives you the green light. Press them for a decision. Why? Because he knows that's the right thing to do. He says, I know that thou believest. You know, sometimes a lost person, all they need is a little confidence, and you can give it to them. I think sometimes we're so busy trying to let them know about hell, like my mentor says, like, you're the guy running the joint. You're just so excited to be running hell, and you're running everyone into hell instead of giving them just a little bit of con- look. I, I know you believe what I'm saying here. Just a little. Sometimes you got to give people credibility, little credit. There's something terrible with my crowd of preachers. They give nobody credibility. Everyone in the pew is pathetic. Well, that's because the pulpit's pathetic. And a number of other adjectives that go with that. Amen. Look at Romans seven. I'm starting to get fired up. I didn't even have any espresso. Brother Dave, y'all make some good espresso? That Italian stuff? Is that pretty good? All right. I've got to try some of y'all's. Then. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be looking within. My bad. <laughs> some of y'all mistake Holy Ghost power for espresso power. Amen. 717. Uh, is that the one we want here? 718. Bible says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's eight. I want seven. I'm sorry. Seven, seventeen. Now then it is no more I that do it. That's not the one I want either. Eighteen. For I know. You know what Paul knows? He knows the right verse. (laughs) He knows that his flesh is a piece of garbage. You see that? This should be every young man's favorite verse. For I know that that in, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform it, that which is good, I find not. He says, I know it. I know it. And uh, how about this one, Romans 14, 14. We're going to keep running for the next 10 minutes. 14, 14. Paul says, I know and am persuaded. You think he's doubtful of anything? I'm telling you what, whatever God gave Paul, he knew it. He got a hold of it. And when God teaches you scripture through reading the Bible or preaching or studying, you ought to grab a hold of that thing and know it. He says, I know and am persuaded uh, by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Talking about uh, food and uh, conscience and all that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Paul knew some things. This bunch of Christianity out there, you know what they want? This is, this is how they say it. Well, what do you think about it? Who cares what you think? How about this? Who cares what I think? What about what God said? Let's start there. And if we're off, do you think the Lord will whip the fire out of us for believing his word cover to cover, including the cover? He'll be like, hey, you know what? Love your zeal, but you are off. That was actually figurative. Sorry, Lord, I just believe what you said. See what I mean? 2 Corinthians 9.2. You find someone that starts doubting this book and 
what do you think? And what is your interpretation? I hate that. What is your interpretation? And I go, Genesis chapter 40, doth not interpretations belong to God? <laughs> That's your interpretation. Cow jumped over the moon. Amen. 9-2. Look what he says. For I know the forwardness of your mind. You know what he's doing? He's boasting about the saints in Macedonia. He's like, look, I know you've changed. I know you've grown. I know you're back to giving like you should. And I'm very thankful. And I'm, I'm, if I can say it like this, I'm proud of you. There he is. He knew it. And he was letting them know that he knew it. All right. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, I know. You ought to know some things in your Christian life. And if you don't, you're going to be a dumb Christian thump all your life and let everyone do the thinking for you. Listen, if you didn't get started in this thing till later in life, you got ways to go. You better get, catch up with the column. Uh, that means if you didn't get saved or didn't start believing the Bible or get in a place, you better start reading that book. Uh, verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Now, he's talk, Paul's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about a spiritual need of being met. And he knew it. And he had confidence that it would be provided. Uh, look at this one here in verse 25, same chapter. And having this, oh, there it is again, confidence. I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. You know, Paul knew for the Philippians, as long as he was there with them, they were going to get some help. As long as he was there with them, they would grow. Amen? That's good. Paul knew his purpose. His purpose was to help the churches. Do you know what your purpose is? <laughs> Some people think their purpose in the Christian life is to take up space and collect mass. There's a purpose, like the purpose-driven life. No, not that jazz. I got a copy of that thing when that <laughs> screwball wrote that book, brought out. I marked up the first three pages. I went through about a pen and a half of ink. I'm like, just threw it inside. How ridiculous, man. Per if you can't figure out what your purpose in this life is by reading the Bible, what's some guy out in the saddleback make, you know, bringing in 30,000 people a week going to teach you? The fact of the matter is the reason he was so successful and successful in writing that book is because he didn't want to believe what God said. He'd rather believe a lie, and because he wanted to believe a lie, he found 30,000 people and millions and millions of others who wanted to believe a lie with him. So he wrote him a little book and made millions. Thank you, Rick Warren. All right. Let me give you this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I hope this is a help. You ought to, be con you ought to know some things in the Christian life. Now, you ought not to be a know-it-all. And if you don't know it, I have had to learn. This is, this is embarrassing, dangerously embarrassing because my whole family's here. I've had to dangerously learn if I don't know it, stop acting like I do. Just say I don't know it. I ask my mentor uh, Bible questions, and more often than not, he says, I don't know. Give me time to think. I said, man. I said, doesn't someone ask you a Bible question? Do you think, oh, I got I to well, I, I say this and this and this? I don't know. I'm like, how liberating. God wrote the book. You don't know. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Now, let me give you some confidence here. Paul knew some things, and Paul was confident about some things. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. You cannot read the writings of Paul, Peter, James, and John and not say, well, gee, what do you think about this? They never talk like that. They never preach like that. Jesus never... 
Jesus said, I know. Jesus said, I'm confident. Jesus said, I'm persuaded. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. He says, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. <laughs> That's a blessing. Always confident. You're just, I mean, half of you is already up there. I'm just waiting for the rest of me to catch up there, amen? <laughs> you say, what's got to happen? So, I've I got to drop this shell. I got to drop this corpse. I'm a zombie. I got a dead body and a live spirit. Or a live, amen. You're a zombie. Look at verse 8. He says it again. 5 8. He says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. You never hear Paul saying, Well, I'm not sure about this reading in the Sanskrit. Uh, I'm not real sure about how that should be interpreted or. Possibly, possibly a better reading in the ancient manuscripts might be, he says, we're always confident, always confident. All right, let me give you this one, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6, Paul knew some things, and Paul was confident about some things. Look what he says here, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul was confident of? He was confident of this, good works never save you, bad works never unsave you, the good work that gets done inside of you at salvation is done by Jesus Christ, and he performs that work until the day of Jesus Christ, which culminates at the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ, because you're eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit. All right, how about this one, Acts 28, a few more minutes. I'm going to run this thing until the hounds run out of air. 28.31, Bible says, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. That's how the book of Acts ends. The book of Acts ends in confidence and in preaching and teaching the word of God and those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? That's what we're supposed to be doing today. We're supposed to be confidently preaching and teaching the things of Jesus Christ concerning the kingdom of God. So you've got to know that stuff. And you ought to be confident about it. You know, majority, you know, probably 80% of the churches in this community could be higher. You know what they're confident about? Humanity. Let's do something for humanity. Let's have a soup kitchen. Let's build someone's house. Hey, look, I'm all for building a house. You can start by fixing up mine. Amen? I'm not saying that because I've got an axe to I'm just saying, that's fine. Amen? But my job is not to fix some lost person's house. My job is not to put a, a Big Mac in their mouth and make them eat it. My job is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and those things concerning Christ Jesus, no man forbidding it, and confidently. That's how that thing works. How about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15? Confident. Are you confident this morning? Are you confident that you got the right book? Are you confident that you're in the right church? Well, weak on that one. <laughs> Preacher, stop it. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says, And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that you might have a second benefit. That confidence is Paul knew where he was supposed to be. Paul knew where he was supposed to be. Do you know where you're supposed to be? Now, I ask this over and over and over and over. I'll tell you what, if you're confident about it, it won't bother you a bit. Now, if you're not confident, you'll be like, that's none of your business, preacher. <laughs> I go, okay, my business is preaching. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 2.3. 2.3. Bible says, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come I should have sorrow from them whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Here's Paul. He's Paul, the mature Christian, who has a mature love, and he's confident that they're going to do the right thing. How about that? You believe you feel that way about the brethren? Man, that's a, that's a state of spirituality, isn't it? Bible says, Charity believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And you look at some of the brethren and some of your family and some of your friends who claim to be saved, and they're out in the far country, and they've been rolling around the pig pen for years, and you're going to go, hmm, they ain't never going to get out. But you know what Paul says? He says, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul had confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. They do the right thing. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, 16. Now the tenor of Paul's preaching, and the tenor of James' preaching, and the tenor of Peter's preaching, and the tenor of John's preaching is confidence. <clears throat> all right, uh, 822, 8.22. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 22. Did I say 7? Did I skip 7? Okay. But, uh, we'll go back to 16. Uh, 8.22, and, uh, uh, and we have sent with our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligently upon the great confidence which I have in you. You ever stop and think about how, how kind Paul was? He was always displaying his confidence in other Christians. He said, yes, but the Bible says that it's better to put confidence in, in the Lord than to put uh, in horses. Okay, but you know what he's doing? He's giving them charity, <laughs> right? You might be able to put more confidence in the horse than some Christians, amen? But what he's doing is he's, he's, he's putting some of his honor on other people. A lot of Christians think the Christian life is all about them amassing honor and gaining honor and gaining status and gaining fame and likes and subscriptions and you know posts and all that stuff but Paul's like look uh, you're going to do the right thing and I'm confident about it I'll give you one more go back to 16 there's a good 40 more 716 he says I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things all things ain't that something now what you have seen is just a quippet of verses to from a preacher who is confident in what God called him to do, confident in what he believes. He knows some things, and he gives that confidence in the Lord to other Christians. So likewise, when you deal with other people, when you witness, you should be confident. Or when you disciple Christians, you should be confident. And when you hold yourself out in this community, you might not always have an answer, but you ought to be confident. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ would have done. That's what Paul did. That's what James did. That's what Peter did. And that's what John did. All right, we'll stop there. In the middle of verse 12. Amen. Yeah, there's really just a couple things left. I thought we'd get through the chapter, actually.